In this sermon today, we're going to be looking, we're going to be moving around in the Bible, so I hope you, you know, you hope your fingers are ready to go, and uh, let me just ask you to, we'll just start out here, if you'll be finding the book of Ephesians, we're going to be there in a moment, we're not there yet, but I want you to find the book of Ephesians, and uh, that'll be kind of our starting place, and I'm going to be showing you some Bible verses, but I'm going to build a little foundation for what I want to do. Father... God, you put this message on my heart, and I have prepared the message, God, the most diligently I know how to prepare a message. But now, God, what I ask you, I ask you, God, to give me a special anointing, help my mind to be clear, help me to remember what I need to remember, those things that maybe I have studied and want to share that maybe time doesn't permit, help me just to kind of forget those things. I pray those who listen now that the Holy Spirit will help whatever is ahead this week for all of us. For these moments, let's push that aside and let help us, God, focus on what we're looking and what we can do as believers to be used by the Holy Spirit as an instrument to reach unsaved people is my prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All the people said. Now, the moment that you became a Christian, think when that was. You may not know the day, date, and hour, but think back. The moment that you became a Christian, three things happened. First of all, your past sins were forgiven. Now, I would think you already knew that. They told you that when you became a Christian. But I want to show you some Bible verses. Uh, we won't exhaust them by any stretch. But look with me in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. It's probably one of the very best verses on that. The Bible says, in him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, I love the verse, in him, not in the church. Not in the good life, not in baptism, not in the Lord's Supper, not in, no, in Jesus, we have redemption. How do we have redemption? We have redemption through his blood. Now, turn over in your Bible, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. I want to show you a couple more verses, and they are in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews, in chapter number 9, there are two marvelous verses dealing with this whole matter of what happens when we become a believer. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, the Bible says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Look in verse 22. It says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Talking about remission of sins. Now, I want to show you a verse. It may be the best verse at all about the blood of Jesus. Look in the book of Revelation. We never really hear much about this verse when we even study the book of Revelation, but it's, it's one of the huge things in the book. In Revelation chapter number one, look in verse number five. John's talking about Jesus, and he says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now watch carefully. To him, that's Jesus, who loved us and washed us from our sins 
in his own blood. I have that little part of that verse underlined. I have it highlighted. And I have the word washed circled. It's interesting. The word washed comes from a Hebrew word in our English Bible here translated New King James as washed. If you have the New American Standard translation of the Bible, that word is translated not washed. It's translated released. If you have the New Living Translation, the ESV or the NIV, I, I may like how they did it best. They translate the word not washed, not released. They translate the word freed. Wow. Look at it again. To him, Jesus, who loved us and washed us, released us, freed us from our sins. How did he do it? In his own blood. So the first thing that happened to you when you became a Christian, no matter how bad your sins may have been, no matter how many they may have been, they were washed away. <laughs> they were released. They were freed. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing that happened to you when you became a believer, not only were all your past sins forgiven, but listen carefully, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. Now, Turn back in your Bible to the book of Romans in chapter number 8. I want us to see this. You, you know the verses already, but look in Romans chapter 8. And when you get to Romans chapter 8, uh, look in verse 9. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I'm saying to you that the moment you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God came to live in you. Now, turn over your clothes. Turn over in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's the very next book. Let me show you another verse. 1 Corinthians 3.16, one of those great 3.16 verses. How many times have I said one day I'm going to preach a series of sermons on the great 3.16 verses in the Bible? Of course, John 3.16 being one of them. Well, I've been saying that, and I'm running out of years. I need to get on that series of sermons. But look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. There it is again. The moment you prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to make you a Christian, however you said it, here's what happened. Your past sins were forgiven. The Holy Spirit of God came to live in you. Look, turn over in chapter 6. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 19, the Bible says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. So the second thing that happens, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in us. Now the third thing that happens, this is, the, this is you are guaranteed eternal life. You're guaranteed eternal life. Now turn back, if you will, in the Gospel of John in chapter 3. 
I want you at least be sure you have it marked in your Bible. In John chapter number 3, we're talking about what happens at the moment a person is saved. At the moment that a person prays and asks Jesus, come into their heart. Well, their past sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live within them, and they are guaranteed by God what? They're guaranteed eternal life. Now, in John chapter 3, um, you, you know the verses, but look in verse 15. Whoever believes in him, now Jesus is talking here. And he's having a conversation with this man named Nicodemus, and he's explaining about the new birth. He says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. <laughs> See, in this life, we don't have eternal life. But the life beyond this life is eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life everlasting life. What a beautiful, wonderful thing. So I just want you to fix those little three things in your mind. This is what happened to you. Maybe none of us really grasp all of that, or maybe very much of that, or surely we grasp the first part of that. Our past sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us, and we are guaranteed eternal life. Folks, I don't know a deal like that deal anywhere in the world. There's, there's no religion that offers what we're looking at in the Bible this morning. Now, that said, one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit comes to live in you is so what? Is so you will be empowered to be a witness for Jesus Christ. It's not like God says, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to live within them in the power and person of the Holy Spirit so they can walk around like, you know, uh, earthly angels. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit has different ministries. And one of those ministries is the ministry of empowering believers to tell people about Jesus. Now, I want you to turn with me in the book of Acts, in chapter number one. And I want us to look at the very last words Jesus spoke before he ascended back into heaven. This is after the resurrection. He's been on the earth 40 days, and he's talking to his disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, why are we going to receive this power? So that you shall be witnesses to me. That is, you're going to be telling people about me. That's what Jesus is saying in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here it is. It's such, it's such a blessed, wonderful thing to know. You know, it's, it's interesting. We need to understand something very carefully. And this really takes a lot of pressure off. And it'll really make you better at doing what God has designed you to do about helping other people know the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the unsaved. It's not our job. Our job is right here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Our job, what's my job assignment? What's your job assignment? Here it is, to be a witness, to tell people about Jesus, okay? Well, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the unsaved, convict the sinner. It's not my job to convict the sinners. No, not your job either. 
It is my job to do my job and to let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. Now, you're, you're, you're in Acts chapter 1, so, so right next to it, you're in John. Look back with me in John chapter 16. Real quickly, in John chapter 16, I want you to see a verse. Well, in fact, we'll look at two. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you, it is to your advantage. He's talking to the disciples now. From the upper room, they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's talking to the disciples. He said, it's better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, that is unto you, he will convict the world of sin. Now, you ought to underline that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. His job is to convict people. Our job is to let the Holy Spirit convict people through us. That, that's just the most exciting thing in the world when it ever comes and it ever really registers. It's our job uh, to let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. You see, the way the Holy Spirit convicts the unsaved, listen carefully, he convicts the unsaved through the saved. Now, we certainly, when we preach or when you teach or when you share, you, you, you know, if you're talking to a person that's not a believer, well, we certainly want them to be a believer, but we don't have the power to do that. That is the Holy Spirit's job. He empowers believers to do what only he can do. If we'll just do our part, in normal situations, he always does his part. You know, it's an interesting thing. We just read the verse in Acts chapter 1 in verse 8. The very next verse tells us Jesus ascended back into the heavens. Now, from that point on, as you read through the book of Acts, Christ is back in heaven, and he's left his disciples here, his followers on earth, to do the work now that he's been on earth preparing them to do. And, of course, it passes right along. Interesting thing in the book of Acts. As you read through the book of Acts, listen carefully. Not one single person is ever converted, is ever saved, that ever becomes a believer in Jesus apart from God using another person to help them do that. That other person being a believer. For example, when you read in the book of Acts, real quickly you read about one day, one single day, 3,000 people became believers in one day. Can you imagine such a thing? We get excited, and we should if one. The Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repented. And John mentioned these numbers the last couple of weeks. It's just been an unbelievable thing to see the numbers of people who've been saved, who stand up unashamedly and say, I'm making my profession of faith. Well, we rejoice that. Can you imagine having some kind of meeting in some, I guess it'd have to almost be an outdoor place because it'd been many more than 3,000, but 3,000 people in one day were saved. Well, how did that happen? God used a man named Simon Peter, and Peter preached a sermon about Jesus. He preached a gospel sermon, and what happened? Well, God used, the Holy Spirit used Peter, but the Holy Spirit in Peter, 
empowered him, and he and the, he, the Holy Spirit, convicted those people. You know, I think about you reading in the book of Acts, you think about, for example, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. That's an interesting story. Well, how'd that deal? The Holy Spirit used a man named Philip and empowered him and shared, he did, with the old eunuch, explained some scripture. And what happened? Well, the old Ethiopian eunuch became a believer. It's just, it's all through the book of Acts. It's like that. Maybe the most familiar conversion of all in the book of Acts is Saul of Tarsus. Folks say, yeah, he was saved on the Damascus road. No, he wasn't. Saul wasn't saved on Damascus road. On the, on the road, on the Damascus road, that's the road leading from Jerusalem to Damascus. He heard the voice of Jesus telling him what to do. But as you read that chapter, God used a man named Ananias in Damascus. That's where Saul really became a believer. God spoke to his heart on the road, but God used a man, the Holy Spirit did, named Ananias. In fact, as I thought about that, actually, if you back up in that reading, you know Stephen, the first martyr, you remember when he was stoned? And he said, God, you know, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you've ever watched carefully, Saul of Tarsus, he wasn't saved in. He was on his way to persecute Christians. But it tells in the Bible, he was standing there watching that. And I cannot help but believe that even God used the stoning of Stephen to begin to do a work in old Saul of Tarsus' heart. And then on that Damascus road, Christ spoke over in Damascus. Ananias did what God had called him to do. It's an interesting thing. You know, I I think about others. I think about Cornelius. You know, an angel came one day and said to Cornelius, I want you to send over to Joppa to Simon the Tanner. And he did. And he came. Well, you know, why didn't the angel tell Cornelius how to be saved? That's not how God does it. What did God do? God used a man named Simon Peter, and he goes over to Caesarea by the sea, and and he tells Cornelius and the Gentiles, people then, that was the beginning of their being saved. The point is God uses human beings that are saved, and the Holy Spirit empowers them. The Holy Spirit convicts what we do. We tell the story. We share the gospel. We share what Christ has done. And we could just go on and on and on. The Philippian jailer, how was he saved? Well, God used, uh, there again, God used Paul to tell what to do. I think about Lydia up at, uh, at Philippi. Well, how did she become a believer? Same thing. God used a person. Here's, here's the point that I make this morning. It's, it's, it's the most important thing in the world. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict the unsaved. Could I have an amen to that? But how does he do it? The Holy Spirit empowers saved people to share, and then the Holy Spirit convicts. He uses saved to reach the unsaved. It's a marvelous, marvelous, means he uses you and me. It's not, it's not our vocabulary. It's not our education. It's not our clever way of saying words. It's not any of our anything. It is the Holy Spirit of God that lives in me and in you. He 
is the power that convicts and he empowers us to share. And it is a gorgeous, wonderful thing. Now, if you'll take your bulletin, we'll fill in a blank or two very, very quickly. Uh, if you don't have a bulletin, you might just jot this down. But in your bulletin, you'll see a little uh, thing. It says, our responsibility is let the Holy Spirit in us convict the unsaved through us. That's it. And when that ever clicks, <laughs> you're not afraid to share anymore because it's not your job to save the people. It's just like, it's just like a load off your back. No, here's, here's it. It's our responsibility. This is, this is my responsibility. It's yours. To do what? Let the Holy Spirit in us convict the unsaved through us. Now, in addition to that, in your bulletin, you see the little thing that says there are conditions we must meet for the Holy Spirit to convict the unsaved through us. I mean, the fact is, the moment you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to live within you. Now, one of his purposes was to empower you to share with others the gospel story. Okay? But there are conditions. He's in every believer. But that does not mean every believer is very, is very fruitful in this matter of helping others to know how they too can be a believer. There are conditions that must be met. Now, I'm going to mention four just in a hurry. There are more than these four, but these four are essential. First of all, we must be confident in our own salvation. If you're not sure you're saved yourself, I mean, if you just kind of think, well, I'm pretty sure I am, but I, no, you have to be confident. You know, this, the, the greatest thing in the world is to be saved. The second greatest thing in the world is to know you're saved. Could I have an amen to that? I mean, there's nothing more miserable than a person that thinks they're saved, but they're not 100% sure. <laughs> I mean, the joy of being saved is robbed by the little whatever amount it is, the doubt that they are. So you have to be confident in your own salvation. I say to you this morning, if you are not 100% sure you're saved, you've come to church on the right Sunday morning because in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to settle that. But that's the first condition that must be met. The second condition is we must be in right fellowship with God. You cannot do very much in helping the unsaved see and hear what they need to see and hear if you're not yourself in fellowship with God. Now, remember this. When you become a believer and you become a Christian, whenever that was in your life, nothing, you, you never lose your relationship, but you sure can lose your fellowship. You sure can, and we've all been there. Sometimes we feel more in him, he in us. Other times it's like he's a million miles away somewhere. Well, he's not a million miles away. He didn't go anywhere. What happened is you went somewhere. When I don't feel close to God, it's not like he left me. I left him. So you're going to have to really, uh, you're going to have to have a right fellowship with God. Now that'd be a sermon in itself. But number three, we must look for opportunities. If, if you want God to use you and the Holy Spirit to empower you to help some of your unsaved family and friends, 
You're going to have to look for the opportunity, and the Holy Spirit will show you when that is. The devil will try to scare you to death, but there will be those opportunities. And then we must always be prepared. We must always be prepared when that opportunity comes. And we're around maybe a family member or several, or we're in a setting with some friends, and they're good people, but you don't know if they're really believers or not. And if they were to die, and they one day will, that you could go to their funeral and know they've gone to heaven. Yeah. I, I mean, we all have friends like that. And we probably, most of us have family that we say, you know, I sure hope so. Well, look for the opportunity and be prepared. Now, here's what you need to understand. This sounds like a, a un, it just sounds like an unusual, weird statement to make, but it's true. Most unsaved people will not be saved in church. They won't. And the reason is they won't come. <laughs> now, there, now, there are unsaved people that get saved every Sunday in churches. And we see it most every Sunday here. But I'm talking about the vast multitude of unsaved people. They are not going to be saved in church because the vast multitude of unsaved people they're just not going to church. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't invite them. But what it does mean is, by and large, this is just, the, why would they, if I were unsaved, I wouldn't want to go to church. What do I want to go to church for? They're down there talking about heaven and Jesus. And, you know, for whatever reason, that's just, I don't, either I don't believe in heaven or I don't believe in Jesus or I don't know what I believe or whatever. But I'm just, so what do we have to do? We have to go out there with them. We have, see, what we do, we just keep inviting people to church. And we should invite people to church to hear the gospel. But, but most unsaved people are not coming to church. So what do we do? What's the solution? Well, the solution is to take the church to the people. Now, that's where you really fit in. You really fit in. You're out most every week in your normal week. You're just around people that may be saved, may not be saved, but you have an opportunity out there. Now, you know, I was 27 years of age. Listen to this. I've never shared this. Pastoring my first church before going to seminary, had to go back to university and finish my university work to go to seminary. So for about two and a half years, we pastored this little rural country church. And I've been in church now, I remember, all my life. Grew up in a church. But I was 27 years of age, and in that church, they always had the old August Revival. Had homecoming on the second Sunday in August. They did it then. They do it now. They'll do it till Jesus comes. That's just the way they do it. And uh, second Sunday in August, Revival. And I invited a preacher friend to come preach this revival named Roger Miller. And when Roger came down to preach Revival, the before he came, he said, now, I'm going to get down about the middle of the afternoon, and I want you to take me and make some visits to some people that need to know the Lord. And so he came, and I still remember, and I'm not going to call the name because some of the people in that area watch us on streaming, and so I don't want to say anything wrong there. But I took Roger 
up, it was about four or five miles up this road to visit a man whose wife never missed church. She was there all the time. He, he was a nice fellow, but he just didn't have anything to do with the church. And we got there and knocked on the door, and the guy came to the door, and he said, well, I figured y'all be coming. They always bring the guest revival preacher up here to save me every time y'all have a revival. I thought, boy, this is going to be a great visit here. Well, we go in the house, and I introduce my friend, and, and uh, it's, I saw the most amazing thing. He chatted a moment or two, and he reached his pocket and pulled out a little New Testament. And he started sharing with that man how to be a Christian. He never mentioned coming to church. He never mentioned coming to the revival. He just was taking Scripture and sharing with that man how to be saved. And at the end of that little presentation, it didn't take him long. He said, let me ask you, sir, have you ever done that? And he said, no. He said, well, let me ask you this. Would you like today to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart? I'm 27 years of age. Now, I've shared in groups and all, but I mean, just to go to a person that you've never even seen, that, that case, that for him, and took his Bible. Well, he prayed, and we finished, and Roger reached in his pocket and got out a little track of, said, now I'm going to leave you something to kind of help you here to see what you need to do next and all, and it, we left. He never even invited the man to the revival that night. I thought, my we got down to church that night, about the middle of the song service. I'm up on the platform, and I look up. I can still see that man coming in. And when Roger gave the invitation that night, public invitation, he came forward. And I later on baptized that guy. And before I left that church, I buried him. But I thought, wouldn't it have been a shame? Now, here's the point. He didn't say a word to him about coming to church. See, that's all we'd ever done, tell him he ought to go to church. Well, we were, he ought to go to church. Uh, we told him right, he ought to go to church. But I'll tell you something, there's something better than going to church, and that's being saved, amen? Now, hear me carefully. It's a rare opportunity that you will have, that any of us will have, where we'll have, we can take a Bible and do what Roger did. Now, there are times you can do that. But because of time, and circumstances, we don't normally have an opportunity to do that. But here's what you can do. Here's what we can all do. Now, remember, we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us to empower us. He's the convictor. He's the convictor. We're not the convictor. So we're the witness. It's not our job to save them. No. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them they're lost. It's our job to tell them about Jesus. Now, here's what you all of us can do. We're in situations, it may just be a social situation, where we have an opportunity, if we'll pay attention, sometime just to say what, how God helps you in your life, what God means to you. And then there'll be opportunities. It may be, it may be one of the best opportunities we have. We can, we can give people little gospel tracts. And I have one in my pocket. Um, I have in my pocket, it says, Steps to Peace with God. Now, this is, this is put out by Billy Graham Association. Now, when you leave today, if you go out that way or you go out that way on the, at the welcome centers, there are stacks of these little tracks. 
And here's what I want to encourage you to do today. I'm asking you to do this. Get one or two and, you know, just keep it with us. Be prepared. And you say, well, how, how would I use this? Well, first of all, the, the name Billy Graham is a, and nobody is hostile toward Billy Graham. Very much. I've never, he's not a in-your-face name. People respect or did respect and still respect his of Billy Graham. So you say, you know, down at the church, uh, first of all, I want you to read this when you get home. Before you give it to somebody, please read it. I think you'll be glad you did. It may be some of you get saved reading it. Others, maybe you settle, get assurance of your salvation reading it. But, but it won't take you long to do it. You could say something like this. Say, you know, down to church, uh, they gave out this little gospel track, and I read it, and I really enjoyed it. And I just thought you might like to have it and just hand it to them. Now, no, no friend you have is going to get mad about that. No, no social setting is going to think you're trying to make them join First Baptist. We're not talking about First Baptist. We're talking about what's in this gospel track. So I'm asking you, just remember this. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. He'll empower you. And this is a very, uh, a very user-friendly way to help someone come to know the Lord. And you might say, you know, after you've read it, you might think of maybe a family member or friend that you might think they'd enjoy reading it. You might want to pass it along and give it to them. I hope today and I pray that even this week you get you one or two of these and don't, don't feel under pressure. I've got to do this. You'll just, if you'll read through it, you'll just think, you know something? I have people I'm around. I, I hope they're Christians. They seem to be. They, they're certainly good people, but you know, if they died and I went to their funeral, I really wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to say, well, I ever did anything. I ever said anything. You don't want to go to a funeral like that. And you sure don't want them to go to one like that. So, Father, I'm praying this morning that we understand that we have living within us the Holy Spirit of God himself to empower us to tell people about Jesus.